What's the best gift you never wanted? Uh, I've got a number uh, of those in my life. Um, a few years ago, uh, I was working at a church, and I thought everything was lining up uh, for me to be the next senior pastor uh, of that church. Um, the elders felt like they needed somebody with a little bit more experience, and so uh, they hired uh, someone else to do the job that I really felt called to. I, I had literally about a year in my life after that where I just felt lost. Like, I wasn't sure what God was up to and what was going to happen and what that meant, but uh, that actually is what led me to be able to plant TLC, the greatest gift I never wanted because I didn't get that job. I got to be here. Uh, another one, um, greatest gift I never wanted, getting dumped by my high school girlfriend when I was in college. Dated her two and a half years, thought for sure she's the one. I just knew it was going to be the case, and she dumped me. Greatest gift I never wanted because two years later, it led me to my wife. And today we celebrate 23 years. Look at that. That's right. As you can see, she's changed a ton. I have not really <laughs> aged. <laughs> We make jokes. Um, I have other things in my life, too, gifts that I never wanted. Some of the best gifts that I never wanted. Uh, times when I prayed for God to change something or heal something, either in my own life or in the life of someone that I loved, and God didn't answer it in the way that I wanted him to. And in the midst of that, I learned that God is still near and real. God is still with me. And not only that, but I'm a guy who enjoys life. Always have, always kind of been a guy that's, you know, glasses half full. And uh, I never really wanted to go to heaven. I mean, I'm like, yeah, it would be great, I'm sure, whatever, when I get there. But like, you know, not any time soon and definitely not before my wedding night, Lord. Uh, so, um, as a result, uh, I always kind of just thought like it'd be fine one day. And I knew I was supposed to desire God's return, return of Christ, but I never really did, to be honest, until um, there was something that I couldn't fix. Until I really needed a savior for myself and for people that I love. And it was a gift that I didn't think that I would want, and it's one of the best gifts that God's ever given me. Do you have anything like that in your life? What's one of the best gifts you never wanted? Go ahead and turn to the person or people next to you and see if you can think of a time or a gift that you didn't want that you are so grateful you received. Go ahead and turn, talk to those person. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to do that. Best gift you never wanted. So the main character in our story today um, received a gift that he never wanted, but it was one of the best gifts that he ever received. Uh, Joseph, the adopted father of Jesus. Now, 
when it comes to Christmas time, I don't know about you guys, but at least uh, in my family, uh, whenever we would get together, my grandfather would often read to us the Christmas story from the Bible. And uh, he would always read Luke, Luke's account. Um, and Luke's account really focuses on Mary. It does mention Joseph, but it kind of focuses on Mary. Matthew's account actually uh, has a little bit of focus on Joseph, but uh, Joseph is one of these guys that, quite honestly, we know that, yes, he's the father of Jesus, the adopted father of Jesus, but we don't know a whole lot about him. Um, and that's partially because of some stuff that happened in his life. It's really interesting, actually. Uh, Matthew mentions Joseph, right? This is the, the father that raises Jesus, right? Luke mentions him, albeit briefly. Mark doesn't even say his name. That's another gospel, which is just the story of Jesus' life and teaching and ministry. Uh, John doesn't actually mention in his gospel, Joseph by name, just says, isn't Jesus, uh, isn't his father from Nazareth a carpenter? And none of the other New Testament uh, letters or books mention Joseph by name. So we really have two places in the New Testament where Joseph gets talked about. Uh, the one that we're going to look at uh, this morning is found in Matthew's gospel. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open up to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew actually gives us some real insight into a gift that Joseph never would have wanted. Let's read together, starting in verse 18. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 24 this morning. Start with me in verses 18 and 19. It says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. In other words, they're engaged. But before they came together, wink, wink, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, this does not make a perfect sense to us in our culture, okay? Um, Western culture, you get engaged, you break off the engagement, not a big deal. I mean, probably a big deal to somebody. At least one of the people usually is crying. Not always both. But in Jesus' time in first century Israel, to be pledged to be married means that you have entered into a legally binding contract. So you couldn't just break off an engagement by saying, yeah, I just don't really want to be engaged anymore. Now, uh, it did mean some things, though, that were very specific in that time. Not only were you entering into a legally binding contract, which is actually why it says Joseph, the husband of Mary, even though they haven't actually gone through and finalized the marriage, okay? There was still a legal connection that the two of them had. And so for Joseph, this is a, a pretty shocking revelation when he finds out that his pledged wife, his, his fiance, is pregnant. And he knows that the child is not him. That's why the text says, uh, how do they say it? Um, before they came together. Okay? In other words, they have not slept together. They haven't had sex. They haven't consummated the marriage. Uh, you would get engaged 
pledged, enter into this legal contract in first century Israel, and then it would be usually somewhere between like three to six, even up to a year-long uh, engagement, while the groom would get all the necessary things together, uh, so then they would have the wedding feast celebration with family when the actual ceremony would happen, and that's when the marriage would be finalized, uh, the night when they would come together and, and, and have the marriage consummated, okay? So they're in this kind of in-between time, but it's not like how we think of it. Like, yeah, we think we're heading towards marriage, we're, we're talking about it, but you break off an engagement, not a big, no, you couldn't just break off an engagement. You actually had to serve divorce papers. The legal connection that had been made through the pledging of one to the other had to be then legally broken through papers of divorce. Now, uh, Joseph, we don't know a whole lot uh, of exactly how this happened. Uh, there's kind of two options here for us. One, after Mary finds out, right, when God sends a messenger to her and says, Mary, you are highly favored. You've been chosen by God to give birth to God's son, the savior of the world. And, and Mary says, uh, yes, I accept this assignment. Okay, That all happens before uh, Mary actually becomes pregnant. She's told ahead of time. Joseph doesn't get anything like that. No angel comes to him before he finds out. And there's two ways that Joseph finds out. One is... Uh, Mary maybe comes and tells him what this angel has said, that she's going to be pregnant. She's already pledged. They're already in, uh, have a legal contract for marriage, okay? Or Mary finds out, and then before she even tells Joseph, she leaves and goes to her, I always say aunt. It's, Elizabeth is not her aunt. Elizabeth is a relative, an older relative, but someone that she knows. She goes and she spends uh, three months with Elizabeth. All right, Elizabeth is also pregnant. Elizabeth is pregnant uh, with a character in the Bible called John the Baptist, who's going to be kind of the forerunner, who's going to kind of announce. He's like the, the person that when a king comes into town, there's always a herald that comes in first. So the king is coming. That's kind of what John the Baptist does. He's kind of saying, hey, the king is coming. The savior, the Messiah is coming. So Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. Mary is Elizabeth's relative. And when she finds out, Luke tells us that Mary goes and spends three months with Elizabeth before she comes back to Nazareth where Joseph lives and where she's pledged. So we don't know if she told Joseph before she left or if she has left without telling him because she's not sure how he's going to respond. And then she comes back. And at this point, she's been with her cousin relative for three months. So the baby's probably somewhere between three to four months along in her pregnancy. She is. She's starting to show. She can't hide it. So one of two things, either he's wrestling with this knowledge that he has for like three months, or he's wrestling with it for a couple of days. Either way, Joseph has not heard from an angel the way that Mary has. And so he's thinking that his fiance has just been unfaithful. She's pregnant, but he knows it's not his. And now he has to ask the question, what am I going to do? You see, Joseph really truly, genuinely loved Mary. And Joseph also truly, genuinely, really loved God. Now, just because Mary was pregnant and it was not his child didn't make it mandatory that he divorce her, but it was the cultural 
expectation that he would. Because he loved God and wanted to stay faithful to the law, and Mary had been unfaithful, it was the cultural expectation that he should divorce Mary. But he doesn't want to bring the full weight of the Torah, the law, down on her. So Joseph, as he's wrestling with this, whether it's been a few months or a few days, decides that he's going to divorce her quietly. All that was required is that he has a bill of divorce that's been written out that he would give to Mary in the presence of two witnesses. Now, he could have made a public spectacle out of this. It's not like the whole town didn't already know that they were pledged to be married. All kinds of rumors, I guarantee you, were beginning to swirl when Mary comes back into town and she's pregnant. Oh, Joseph's one of those kind of guys? I didn't know that. I thought better of him. Oh, Mary's like that? Can you imagine the stuff that would have been swirling? Joseph knows he, he's been faithful to God. So what's he going to do? Instead of publicly shaming her, allowing the full weight of Torah, he wants to do it quietly. So he's going to very quietly divorce her. And that's when we pick up the story now. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph has to work through Mary's pregnancy without the benefit of God telling him what's actually going on. But now God finally shows up and says, no, Joseph, what Mary has said is true. Whether she's told him all the whole story yet or not, God says, this child that's going to be born is from me. And I'm asking you now, Joseph, to take Mary home as your wife. That was actually how a marriage was finalized. The, the bride and groom would begin to live together and they would consummate the marriage. And so what God says is, this child isn't from you, Joseph, but this child is from me. And so I'm asking you to take Mary home as your wife. And then he goes on to say that he wants Joseph to name the child. This is important, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. But he says what he wants Joseph to name the child. He says, I want you to name the child Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. Now, the name Jesus just means God saves. It's actually a Greek uh, form of Joshua, which is the Hebrew form. Same name, Joshua, Jesus, Yeshua, Jesus. Same name, means God saves, okay? And the angel says, name this child Jesus, God saves because he will save the people from their sins. And then the author, Matthew, also tells us this was to show that what the prophet had said about a virgin conceiving was coming true. It's messianic prophecy that had been given in Isaiah. And that they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You have to stop and think, though, for a minute, what this gift was going to actually cost Joseph. He was going to have to adopt a son that 
was not going to look like him. He looked like Mary, but he wasn't going to look like Joseph. He's going to have to put up with the ridicule, the embarrassment, the lack of social standing. Uh, not only that, but we know within a couple of years of Jesus being born, King Herod wants to try to kill him. And so Joseph's actually going to have to flee, protecting his wife and his son, become a refugee on the run to a foreign country that he's not familiar with, trying to figure out how to eke out a living and existence to care for them, provide what they need just to be able to survive. And then he's going to, a while after that, come back home to the same questions that people had before. Uh, I was reading a blog from this theologian who was talking a little bit about Joseph this last week and uh, also listened to a song uh, by this group that had written a song uh, about Joseph or kind of for Joseph. And, and it kind of gave me the idea, like, what, what would I want to say to Joseph in that time? How would I want what would I want him to know about what he's going to have to give up and what it's going to cost and why it's going to be worth it? And so I took a little bit of time to try to like think, what would I want to say to Joseph in that moment? What would I want to, to let him know? And so I, uh, I took pieces from each of those and kind of pulled them together with some of my own thoughts. And I, I wrote a letter to Joseph on that pivotal night. And I just want to read it to you. Dear Joseph, troubled Joseph, God has chosen to hinge history on you and Mary. The light of the world will look like your bride, but he won't look like you, Joseph. He won't be flesh of your flesh or bone of your bone, but still he can be miraculously your own. Father him, Joseph, and love his mother. You must provide for and protect them both, even though the cost be great. Save that child, Joseph, so that one day he can save you. But no... The glory will not be yours, nor will you even see the fruit of your labor, the reward of your suffering. This is the greatest gift you've never wanted. Oh, Joseph, raise this child, and you'll raise your wildest dreams come true. Your creator, resting in your arms, the one you bathe and swaddle, will cleanse and bind your heart, and all of this hardship will be worth it. I promise. So please, dear Joseph, say yes to this gift. And we read that after the messenger comes and speaks to Joseph, verse 24, it says, when he woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. It's a very interesting last phrase, and he gave him the name Jesus. It's kind of like a, well, duh. The angel already said, you're supposed to name him Jesus, and he does. But what we don't understand is that by naming this child, Joseph is adopting him. When Joseph is the one who gives Jesus his name, in first century culture, that was saying, he is my son. I claim him. He has all the benefits and rights of my lineage of whatever I leave to this world, Joseph is mine. And so he names him. 
in spite of the fact that he knows he's not the biological father, in spite of the fact that Jesus will look like Mary but not like him, in spite of the fact that he's going to lose esteem in the community, in spite of the fact that people are going to talk about he and Mary behind their back, in spite of the fact that he's actually going to have to flee his family, his hometown, all that he knows, in spite of the fact that he's going to wind up being a refugee in a foreign country. And you know what the kicker is in all this? Joseph dies before Jesus ever begins any of his ministry. The reason that we have so few mentions of Joseph is because we think he died somewhere in Jesus' maybe mid to late teen years and maybe Jesus' early 20s. And so Joseph takes on this costly gift and never gets to see the fruit of that suffering, of that labor, of that difficulty. For Joseph, Jesus was the best gift he never wanted. Uh, to say yes to Jesus, it's always cost something. It did for Joseph and Mary, of course, and it does for me and for you. Uh, and I was thinking about this. I think we kind of live in a time right now, at least in my 47 years on this earth, that probably most best, maybe, mirrors the time that Joseph was living. Um, listen to this. Joseph was living under a fairly oppressive outside force that he couldn't control. Okay, Rome. Uh, we are living under a fairly oppressive outside force that we can't control. COVID. Uh, I don't know what kind of underlying fears, frustrations, or anxiety, maybe tension that Joseph felt living in a land that was under Roman rule. Um, but I know what it's produced for you and I in the last 18 months. Celebrations feel a little less celebratory than usual, don't they? Uh, we all have a little bit of uneasiness about the future, right? And that kind of creates a low level of anxiety that every single one of us has been living with for the last year and a half. And it's frustrating. Uh, we're frustrated because things have changed and we're not real sure when they're going to get back to normal. And I hear people talk about, oh, no, we just got to get used to the new normal. Baloney. Uh, no, I don't want to. I don't want to get used to, I'm sorry. I, like, I, I don't want to get used to the new normal. I want the old normal. The old normal is way better. That's what I, I don't want to try to figure, I want what I used to have and being able to hang out and not think about anything and enjoy my friends and family and uh, go and hang out with my grandma and grandpa whenever I want and let them see their great grandkids. And Like I want all that again. We all feel that, the frustration of not having it exactly how we hoped, right? And I was thinking about what Joseph may have been experiencing having to live under Roman rule and you and I, what we've experienced in the last year and a half. And I realized, that's exactly what Jesus came for. <laughs> it's exactly what Jesus came for. Uh, the text tells us there's two reasons, right? That Jesus, he comes to save the people from their sins. Man, friends, if you don't feel like we're in a broken world, 
We all feel it. And it's not just the pandemic. There's all kinds of different ways that we find ourselves being broken, that we experience the sin that has broken relationships and the frustrations and anxiety that we feel. And that's what Jesus came to rescue us from. God saves. Not only that, but God is with us. Man, how much do I need that right now? How much do I long for that? When things aren't going the way that I hope or expect, to have a God who is not far away, but who, who's near me, sitting there alongside of me, encouraging me, saying, you know what? I know it's not how it's supposed to be. Hang on, hang tight. I'm going to fix it. Man, I need that right now. And I think probably you feel the same thing that I do. I will say this though, if you were to ask Joseph, if it was worth it, what do you genuinely think his answer would be? Now, now hang on, I know you're in church, okay? All right, so instantly you're like, well, of course he's gonna. What honestly do you think Joseph would say? Joseph, was it worth it? Was, it, was the cost worth it? And the reason that I tell you to hang on and, and, and really think about that is because whatever you think Joseph should answer probably ought to be your answer to the invitation of Jesus. You see, God came and gave an invitation to Joseph. Joseph could have peaced out. Joseph could have been like, nah, nope, not doing it. Not going to accept that. He's not my kid. But Joseph instead obeys, says yes to the invitation of Jesus. It's not the gift that he was expecting. Definitely not the gift that he would have wished for. But it was the greatest gift he ever received. And that's exactly what happens every single Christmas. The whole reason that we celebrate is to remember this gift that came. And it always then brings us to the point of what are we going to do? If you think it was worth it for Joseph, then it must be worth it for you as well. Um, every Christmas, there's kind of two things that happen, I think. Crisis and celebration. It happened at the very first Christmas. There was a crisis. Mary felt it. Joseph felt it. What are you going to do with the invitation of Jesus? How we answer that crisis, and that crisis comes up for you and I every single Christmas as well. It's the simple question of what will you do with Jesus? Will you say yes again? For some of you, it might be that will you say yes for the very first time? For some of you, maybe you've just been estranged, disconnected, disengaged for a long time. And Christmas comes and the question comes again. Will you say yes to Jesus? Whatever it costs, because I promise you to say yes to Jesus will cost something. It did for Joseph, it did for Mary, it has for me, it will for you. But how we answered the crisis of that question has everything to do with the type of celebration we have. All of us are going to celebrate on the 25th, okay? We're all going to probably exchange some gifts, probably be hanging out with some people. We'll listen to some Christmas music. We'll eat some good food. We'll all celebrate. But what we celebrate is all the difference. Yeah, gifts are nice. Don't get me wrong. I like gifts. Probably more than I should. <laughs> 
But when I say yes to Jesus, I actually get to celebrate something even more than just a fun day and good food and some gifts from people that love me. Those are wonderful things. But I also get to celebrate the invitation that Jesus has given to offer my life so that I can take his. And that's the invitation that is upon all of us today as we think about and celebrate Christmas. And so what I'd like for us to do right now is just go ahead and close your eyes. I just want to give you a moment to talk to God about that question. It's Christmas time. As Christmas comes, we're reminded of this gift that God wants to give to us. It is a gift that will cost something, okay? But all of us have the opportunity every Christmas to say yes to God again. For some of you, it may be the very first time. Maybe you were not expecting to have to even answer this question when you showed up at church today. Maybe this is like, hey, if somebody invited me and I decided to like come because it's Christmas time, and yet God is offering this gift, this invitation to trust that Jesus truly is God's son. That he was born as a baby and then grew up to be crucified on a cross, to die for our sins and be resurrected on the third day just as he promised. If that's you today, if you're just saying, you know what, I, I just, I need to accept that gift today. And maybe it's the very first time that you're ever doing that. Just talk to God about that right now. Just say, yes, I, God, I'm interested. I want you. I, I, I wasn't expecting this to happen today, but God, I'm so in. If that's you, I, I would just love to know so that I can pray for you. Father God, the truth is, Jesus was not a gift that Joseph was expecting. Certainly, he would not have prayed for it in the way that you sent your son, Father, but it was the greatest gift Joseph had ever, ever received. And God, I'll admit that uh, when I first gave my life to you, I was probably pretty naive of what all it would mean, but on this Christmas, Father, I say I choose Jesus again. I need Jesus again. Jesus, thank you for being willing to come as a baby, so vulnerable. Man, that's just, the more I think about that, Jesus, the, the, the just crazier it seems to me. You were willing to come as a, as a child, put on human flesh, to live like us and among us, God with us, Emmanuel. And you did that so that you could so that you could die in our place, to take the penalty that we deserve, that I deserve. You took that so that I could be forgiven. And I just say thanks. We say thanks. Thanks for coming. Thanks for allowing us to celebrate your life and what it means. Jesus, we need you again. Come. Lord Jesus, come. God with us. Thank you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray.